Andrew and I really looked at more the customer success teams and trying to help out building beyond the single sale that we had done initially. And so this is, I think, the best way to leverage partners I know. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. Welcome to the SaaS Connect one-on-one podcast. I'm Andrew Porter. I'm here with Parveda. Parveda is a technology consulting firm. I'm actually a principal in our alliances team, which oversees our relationships with our account and growth strategy and our partner operations for our main partnerships, which are Microsoft, AWS, and about a dozen other SaaS and software companies. Across our 12 offices, about 80% of our work is actually partner co-sell and co-building projects and applications. And that's really what I'm excited to talk to everybody here today. We're talking about infrastructure, applications, just to set a little context, data platforms and integrations for our clients that range from startups all the way to the global enterprise companies. I'm based out of New York City. And I'm actually a software engineer by trade, but I'm really fortunate to have transitioned into the world of partnerships about four years ago. I've invited my colleague, Christy Dockendorf, to join this discussion as well. I'm really fortunate to say that our organizations crossed paths at AWS ecosystem, and specifically, as I was mentioning, within data analytics and machine learning. Uh, Christy, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself? Great. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Hi, everyone. I'm Christy, like you said. So I work currently for Lenovo, but Andrew and I met in a previous uh, role of mine at a company uh, based out of San Francisco that features or works in the machine learning and artificial intelligence space. So I'm currently in St. Paul, Minnesota, working remotely, like I said, for Lenovo, but doing partnership business development and partnerships in both of those roles. So looking forward to having this conversation about some of the ways that Andrew and I successfully partnered with this this previous role that I had at this SaaS company. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we get going. A quick shout out, as we were talking about earlier, to the SaaS Connect Conference, which is coming up in two weeks, April 27th and 28th in my old home, lovely San Francisco. I'll be there. And what I'm specifically looking forward to is I appreciate what Sunir and Lindsay and the rest of the CSA team are doing is they've actually found executive mentors and coaches who are offering one-on-one time. And they're also facilitating roundtable lunches across different themes like partner platform partnerships, partner business strategy, and things like that. And so I, I thought that was a really unique take. And I'm looking forward to networking and learning with you all in a couple of weeks. With that, let's just dive right into the topic. We're here today to talk about building SaaS partnerships with services firms. Um, As we kick things off, you know, I wanted to start with a really short story of when I first started in my role. My boss, uh, Christopher Paul, not the basketball player, different Christopher Paul, but he essentially gave the marching orders of take every call I could possibly take with someone who wanted to partner with our firm, Parvada, and just see how it went. What were they offering? You know, what did they want in return? And so one of the things I pretty quickly discovered, though, is that the SaaS companies I was talking to, I felt like they were overly focusing on treating services firms as a referral-based sales channel. And I think we all probably know the play. It's get some people certified on that your SaaS software stack. Let's do some account mapping. Let's do some introductions to your own start registering those leads in the partner portals. I'll take a cut of the subscription that I sell, and I'll give that to the partner, and we can sort of take it from here. Now, I believe and I know that referrals are totally warranted in so many contexts, but it kind of started to drive me a little nuts. 
it was this really how everybody was doing it is this really where the conversation was going to end i actually ended up coming across some data points that reinforced what i was witnessing as well and a shout out to, to crossbeam who actually ran this research the data points they found were 75 percent of SaaS companies measure success simply as partner generated referral revenue and also another data point was 88% offer a fraction of their subscription or their licensing as that primary incentive to the partners. And so that's sort of just the context of the conversation today. I don't think, and I think Christy agrees with me from the software side, is that that model isn't particularly suited for the needs of either partner on that services and SaaS side, you know, let alone the end customer. We're cutting up an existing pie that we probably should be growing together. Um, and, and so I landed on this perspective that SaaS companies have this opportunity to drive revenue growth, but also improve customer satisfaction by rethinking how they partner with services firms. You know, I thought we had an opportunity to be far more creative in how we shape this particular partnership. And so Christy is definitely like-minded here. You know, I'm not here to just throw shade on partnerships. I fully recognize that consulting and services firms, it's not all roses and sunshine working for us too. So, you know, do your best here, Christy. But I do see a lot of other innovative technology integrations happening in partnerships on that technology side. Maybe I have FOMO, I don't know, but Christy, you know, let's dive into why this is happening. What, from your perspective, why are so many SaaS companies taking this pure referral approach despite some pretty clear inefficiencies? Yeah, so I think I need to start. I think it's just the the way that, fortunately, a bunch of us have all just been trained that this is how partnerships work. And with that, then a lot of our metrics then get run around like number of opportunities, not necessarily the quality of them. So getting these kind of referral-based partnerships in place is what a lot of people are metrics on. I think that this could work depending on, you know, the complexity of the software. I think right. you have a fairly easy software sort of piece that's like kind of a plug and play sort of thing. Then yeah, referrals make sense. But I think we were focusing in the AIML space, which is very, very complex. And there's a lot of support that's uh, needed around that. And I think a lot of times, you know, unless at the SaaS company that I worked for, unless we wanted to bring in like our heavy hitter engineers, we really needed to have a services firm to be able to step in and really assist with the rest of the sales motion for us as the bigger picture. But there is, you know, there's like, there's definitely some worries that people have in SaaS companies. I've been on calls, especially with the larger GSIs, where they have a need for what we had did in our space for machine learning, which was training data. They learned what we did. And then they're like, well, we can build that. And so they took what we basically sold as a product and decided that they were going to build it in-house instead because, I mean, they're getting paid on billable hours. I think they're easy, you know, like a lot of trust between a SaaS company and a services company. And right now, I think just the model, for whatever reason, a lot of companies are still using this referral-based model and it doesn't dig into the trust that we need between the two partners. Yeah, that's actually where you touch on a couple of really interesting points. I wanted to go back to that. I mean, because I totally agree with you. Like, there's a certain subset of partnerships where it totally makes sense to just purely focused on referrals, ratchet that engine up. But when you're to your point, when there's like more high complexity solution selling happening, you know, that's probably where there's the biggest gap in. That's where essentially it's unproductive and it's not really working for the SaaS company and the services firm where there's the biggest opportunity. I wanted to dig in. You mentioned trust as well. What are some specific barriers to trust you think from your perspective on the software side? What are some of those biggest blockers to trust? 
Yeah. So, I mean, when you're working with partners, you're working in tandem with your own sales team. And I think as someone who myself came from software sales, being able to make sure that nothing's going to screw up your commission or the sale that you have is really important. And I think once you get partners in, you're adding an extra layer of potential complexity to the sale that could potentially make the person, like a salesperson, think that it's going to throw off the whole sales motion that they have going on. So I think it's really important too, to just have the entire internal education happening within a SaaS company saying, you know, here's our trusted partners. Here's why we trust them. We had people come on site. I think you guys, I don't know, the pandemic, you guys may have come on site and talked to some of our sales folks as well, just so that they put a face to the company and knew that you weren't going to come in there and cut them out of a deal. Yeah. And just like that idea of complicating and slowing them, I think as a partner manager, it's really my job to reassure the sales team that this isn't going to happen. And if anything, this is going to uncover more opportunities and more leads for you as we continue on with a services company and your opportunity. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And that it's that ongoing, it's a grind, right? You have to constantly be communicating and dripping, you know, the messaging across the organization as well, because there's so many, I mean, you know, we, we're all getting who knows how many emails and slacks every day. It's, it's also a matter of making sure that it becomes a part of their, their trust, but also that they know what the play is in the first place and how do we even engage. So, you know, once we've even gotten past that trust point. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. because I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say on the flip side too, I think services also have a lot of unknowns when it comes to SaaS opportunities, right? Like we might throw something over to you where you don't understand what's the scope of this, how well has this been vetted out? And I mean, and vice versa, right? So I think that's also just kind of an issue with the pure referral side of things is it's kind of a crapshoot of what you're going to get from a partner in that sense. Yeah, that's exactly what I was making a comment on was from the lens of a services firm getting asked to introduce our clients, which are typically longer, right? Like a services firm is part of it. It's five, 10 you know, years, and you may not be working with the same people, but there's that trust that's been built up and to have the paradigm be in this partnership, just introduce me to your clients and I'll give you a cut of the deal, right? That it totally dissolves that trusted advisor relationship. And it's almost more of a conflict of interest to be paid for your people, right? Like, and so that's just what through that lens, um, let alone having the skills to even deliver something, right? If we're talking high complexity, things like data and analytics or machine learning, you know, having that ability to the skill sets across my teams, having to go through and train them, like there's a lot to unpack there in building a practice around a particular software stack that just typically isn't being addressed through referrals. Yep, I totally agree. Yeah. And one specific example comes to mind. And I think at this point, we could probably transition to what we've talked about the problems here. And I think we can talk about what we ended up actually doing. But one specific example that I I remember distinctly is we had one like a year long implementation. We had referred in a company that would be a part of this implementation to be the, the core foundation that we would be working on. And I think that project generated call it $2 million. But after a year, you know, we had forgot, we had registered the deal with the SaaS provider, which was one of the many different moving parts. And we get a check in the mail for, I think it was like $17,000. Now that's a lot of money. And that gesture is definitely appreciated. We're not in the business of turning down money. You know, none of us are, but at the same time, it, does that really drive behavioral changes? Does that 
incentivize both companies to come and work together in the future. And I'm not sure that it does exactly. That $17,000 might be better repurposed in some other way within the software company, you know, or with a proof of concept at another potential client or something like that. It could be invested totally differently. Yeah, I so agree. When it's a $2 million scope like that, the 17000 like you right. said, it's appreciated, but kind of a drop in the bucket. And there's probably a better way right. to take that money and invest in the partnership. Yeah. Well, it's almost like it's intended for an individual. If an individual got a $70,000, I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal. But you're looking at a partner, at a practice, at a lot of different moving parts. And so it's almost like it's intended for that if it were an individual sales rep, for example. And so I wanted to transition a little bit here into how we ended up rethinking our partnership. And given that we're, again, just we're in this more of a high complexity space where we're talking about machine learning and we're talking about a little bit more of an emergent technologies, it is a little bit tough to rationalize value and things like that. I wanted to start stepping into how did we start to tell us the story about how we started to recognize we wanted to start looking outside of referrals and and we wanted to start maybe looking more broadly. Yeah, and I know that, like you said, we met through the AWS ecosystem, which was really helpful for us to make that connection. But then, yeah, I think once we started to dive into it, a a problem that my company was having from a SaaS perspective is that the customers that we were working with didn't understand the full scope of the investment that they needed for the sort of things that they were trying to do. So for them, not everybody, but the number of people we talked to were thinking that AI ML is just like magic. You hire one data scientist and you give them data and then you'll get results. And that's definitely not how this process goes. And I know that that's the same for many other industries as well, not just machine learning, right? SaaS is one piece of the puzzle, usually a cog in the entire wheel of what finding Paraveda, who's specifically what we called in our company a boutique services firm because you guys had a specialization that complemented our SaaS products so much. Finding you all and having the breadth of knowledge that we could bring in when we were selling at the same time our product was really, really helpful. We really were able to kind of legitimize each other's business by expressing enough of like, this is actually the amount of investment that you need to do the project that you have. If you don't have the in-house talent, we know a company that's really good and set for this. And I think we were able to not only close more deals, but then also upsell and, and work with like a longer term relationship than with some of these customers as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that we came to the conclusion was that we were kind of representing two archetypes or business models that our two companies were constructed off of, and they're very different, right? So we looked at our value propositions. We looked at like the core activities that we were doing. And we also looked at how we approached customer relationships. Both were all were very different, right? However, looking at a mutual customer, they would become very complementary. And so there was that value add above and beyond just simply trading account intros and things like that, that we were able to like see how, you know, you can sort of address that, the holistic need of that customer. What I think was also really interesting was that we had to break through how different and conflicting our revenue streams were, right? You're coming from a SaaS company where you're trying to sign up a subscription, long-term commit, you know, on a monthly or a quarterly or yearly basis. Whereas, you know, we're trying to have teams and resources be deployed with them at a billable hourly rate. So those cost structures and the revenue streams were actually completely misaligned. So I think that was actually really the genesis of this model that we created and the realization that, you know, we needed to look a little bit bigger than than the sales funnel. 
And so I don't know if you recall, but you know, we, we ended up landing on the whole customer journey is what we, where we landed. And so we kind of looked at what touch points made the most sense. And we ended up making kind of a lightweight framework, looking at everything from demand gen, from sales, implementation and onboarding, customer success, advocacy, things like that. We looked at the KPIs, the personas, the different friction, the blockers, these different personas were having. And ultimately, right, trying to figure out, you know, what complementary aspects in this partnership can we deploy in order to ultimately lift those KPIs? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted you to touch on, there's one specific account that I think was particularly successful where as a strategy, we had found a lot of opportunity to cross this entire customer journey. Do you want to maybe dig in a little bit there in terms of what you think worked well using that sort of framework of the whole customer journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I think because we looked at that larger journey, one company comes in mind in particular that's one of the larger automotive manufacturers that we happen to both be working in separately. And with that, when you get into that more enterprise global space, the companies can be so siloed. So there could be so many different teams and some of them may even be working on the same thing and they just don't even realize it within the same company. So when we started to looking at that larger customer journey, we were able to figure out that, you know, we're working with these different teams for very different projects, but we were able to then look leverage our each other's contacts that we had within that same company to legitimize ourselves via the customer itself, basically saying, you're already working with this SaaS company over here. You're already working with that services company over there. And then we were able to take that information and then actually bring it together where this company started to learn like, wow, we should probably start, we can start to consolidate some of our efforts and look at this more holistically rather than just the different silos. And so not only was that really helpful, I would say from both the services and SaaS side, but then that's ultimately the customer itself is getting a lot of value out of what we brought together at the table. And and then from a sales perspective from both of our ends, I mean, this was most successful in, like I said, that enterprise global space. And that's where a lot of salespeople really want to try to get into anyway. So I thought that that's where I think that both of our companies were starting to really see the value of kind of this larger picture approach that we were taking to our partnerships. Yeah, I love that. It's not, again, even going back to the reason I love that story, because going back to what we were saying in the beginning, it's not just cutting the pie up. It's that's truly helping to grow the pie for ourselves, but also right deploying sophisticated, well-orchestrated machine learning for our clients. It's, it's helping them get their competitive advantage as well. And so it's just, that's exactly the type of partnership that I'm glad we were able to build together. Through, yeah, you know, and like it's it almost an aspect of like design thinking, right? Like it took a lot. No, go ahead. Yeah, it's almost an aspect of design thinking to to really think about the customer's needs and and plug in where our strengths are. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I 100% agree. And then also the nice thing too, like we were mentioning earlier about our different sales motions and potentially um, salespeople worried about uh, losing business or something by having a partner in here. Really what we were able to do is we weren't taking over each other's key contacts and we weren't taking over each other's sales motions. We were really able to look at this together and still kind of work in tandem on accounts to have that better overall solution. Yeah, I totally agree. It was, we sort of, we left our own processes in place, but we found ways to orchestrate without disrupting all the different roles and the different things that we have going on. Exactly. Awesome. And I have a couple of, we actually did quite a bit of sketching when we designed this partnership. And so I have plenty of, you know, I'm not going to do any screen shares, but if 
anybody is particularly interested in seeing the types of the frameworks and tools that we built on, you know, we're happy to have a conversation about that and show you, you know, how we ultimately came to this design that we landed on. It wasn't particularly a great name, but we called it the partner canvas, right? Where it's just, it's really just thinking about how those two business models fit together and where we were able to find synergies. So, I mean, with that, I think we're kind of coming to the end of this webinar. We can certainly open it up for questions. I wanted to leave with just really three main recommendations or three findings that we had throughout this journey of, of introductions in the AWS ecosystem and designing our partnership to add more value. You know, I think the first sort of point I wanted to make was that recognizing that the value of business ecosystems, it isn't necessarily efficiency, right? It's the ability to capture new knowledge and to learn and, you know, and to innovate across organizational boundaries. I mean, that was something I think we anchored on, particularly, you know, in, in looking at the customer journey. And I think there's like a fundamental tension there between streamlining and making your operations and your sales pipeline, this supply chain, like highly mature, fast moving pipeline that is needed to scale efficiently. And so there's sort of a delicate balance there between embracing knowledge, pulling in new things and innovating with becoming really operationally efficient. But the point there is that, you know, I think that this knowledge harvesting happens best when you diversify, when you decentralize all these different partner conversations. Some of the best insights we had were when we were talking to solution architects and TAMs and CSMs outside of those traditional points of failure, partner success managers, wherever, you know, everything is flowing through them. We sort of, we embraced opening up the conversations a little bit more and equipping the teams on both sides of our partnership to embrace the ambiguities, to understand how our partners operate. And what I mentioned earlier, that whole product, you know, understanding how partnerships play into that whole product that we're trying to build. So that was kind of one of the first points you know, that we wanted to make. Christy, do you want to talk a little bit about the metrics and what we came to the conclusion on around metrics? Yeah, so with metrics, I mean, instead of just looking at it, like we said about that referral back and forth, I think really expanding the way that we measure things and how we evaluate things in more of a, how are we going to grow our customers? How are we going to keep them more, retain our customers and look at those renewals? I think that that's really what we need to look at. And that's actually probably why Andrew and I really looked at more the customer success teams and trying to help out building beyond the single sale that we had done initially. And so this is, I think, the best way to leverage partners. I know from the SaaS perspective, especially sometimes our CS teams would be constantly reaching out to a customer and be like, so your subscription's coming up and we're still just right. providing that one piece of value where pulling in a services company can really provide so much more value. So reevaluating how you look at the metrics for your partner success, I think is really important. And looking especially at that growth retention renewals and then their overall satisfaction, I think is where we found the most success. Yeah, I love that. Instead of just looking at the partner influenced revenue and the partner referred revenue, are my customers growing their consumption, assuming you're this high complexity consumption-based or adoption-based, headcount-based, are customers with partner attached growing their usage faster? And I would argue probably yes. If you have more touch points, more hands-on, more feet on the ground helping out that, you know, no doubt that, you know, you'll be capturing those little micro touch points where somebody might be blocked and they, you know, and a, and a, and a partner is able to come in and help. And then lastly, the last point we wanted to make before we open it up for questions here is being really crisp about the partner capabilities and going back to what Christy was saying about communication and it being a grind, but being crisp about partner capabilities and plays and frankly embedding them, you know, within the direct sales playbooks, you know, you could call them SKUs, 
you know, but they include everything about the value proposition, you know, the incentives. And that's actually an interesting point is that Chrissy and I got really creative with the incentives too, you know, in a way to really, and to get the different roles, you have to think about the different roles and how, you know, what, what's meaningful to them, how are they gold, and then calibrate incentives to that. But also, you know, calling them partner engagement plays. And what, where I think this is essentially going is, you know, what I'd call partner product management, you know, as a capability that we're essentially recommending SaaS companies start to focus on. I've started to see a little bit more of those job descriptions listed, but I think that that, you know, going back to the whole product idea is having somebody within the partner org that is not just sales focused, but it, that is focused on how do we extend our product through partners, you know, and design, you know, engagement plays that extend beyond the organizational boundaries. So those are really the three key points. Christy, was there anything else I missed there that you wanted to, to chime in on? No, no. Um, thanks for inviting me to this. If anybody else has any questions for us, you can always reach out outside of this uh, podcast and webinar as well. But I feel like we had a very unique approach to partnerships that um, was really successful and one that was not typical of any of the other uh, services companies that we had reached out to and, and started to work with. So yeah, thanks for letting us share our, our experience here. Yeah, thanks for joining, Christy. And obviously, thank you to the, the CSA for giving us this platform to, to have this conversation. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you for your time. If you'd like to connect, you can find us both on LinkedIn. If you'd like to chat more during SAS Connect in a couple of weeks, feel free to reach out. But again, thanks for your time. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe. And join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, Content Allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.